I like zoned out for a minute looking at him and I was like, you know what, one day, like tomorrow, this moment is going to be gone and he's going to be 18 and he's not going to come over anymore. And now he's 20. The wow. brother is now 20. And so I can very distinctly compare black and white experiences night and day between when my siblings were a certain age and now my oldest is eight. You are now entering a new paradigm. So here is my issue. I wanted to find the answers to life's biggest questions. Things like, how do I become happy and live with purpose? How do I make more money doing what I love? And what does it mean to be truly successful in all areas of life? My name is Josh Forty, at Josh Forty on Instagram, and I ask life's biggest questions and share the answers with you. My goal is to help you find purpose, happiness, and open your mind to new realms of possibility by helping you think differently about everything you do, know, and understand. On this podcast, we think different, we dream bigger, and we live in a world without limits. This is a new paradigm. Welcome to the Think Different Theory. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Think Different Theory. My name is Josh Forty, and uh, I've got an interesting guest for us here today. I'm very excited to kind of dive in. Usually speaking, when I bring guests on the show, I know a little bit about them and have had some form of interaction or I follow them for a while. So I know some context around them. But my next guest is actually a guy who, um, funny story, he reached out via the email request. Was it on our website or how did you, how did you get it on there? How'd you get the email? Yeah, it was on a contact form. Yeah. Yeah. The contact form on our website, fills it out, sends it over, says, Hey, I'm a good friend of Emmy who we had on the show. <laughs> And um, he sent me a little bio and you guys know, I'm a business nerd. I love people that have like made it and figured it out and done really cool things. And I want to more or less, I mean, this is a, a pick your brain session of this guy. So uh, my next guest has been in radio or was in radio for over seven years, uh, got into marketing, started a marketing company. He's done businesses with uh, many, many businesses on Shark Tank. Uh, the Utah Jazz NBA basketball team, uh, phenomenal entrepreneur, very, very smart man. And at least it sounds like, I guess we'll find out. And uh, <laughs> he's been married for 13 years and has three kids, which really attracts a lot of people. Welcome to the show, Mr. Uh, hopefully I don't butcher your name, Damon Burton. You got it. Yeah. No, yeah. So we're, we're less than 36 hours into unofficially knowing each other. And here we are talking already. <laughs> Look at us go, man. But I am intrigued by your story. So uh, first off, how you been, man? How's life? I'm, do I'm, I'm doing good, man. I got uh, you know a lot of fun stuff going on on the family side, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, some big projects with you know cabin and a pool and building memories with the family. So I'm excited to see those things unfold. It's amazing. So how, how, did you, how do you know Emmy? Because that's our connection, right? Like you know Emmy. Yeah. So Emmy, um, him and I had, we met online and I want to say it started on LinkedIn. So I've been, uh, LinkedIn's like kind of been my, yeah, LinkedIn's kind of been my platform of choice. Um, in the last year, I, I get a lot more exposure on there. And so I, I open up there more and more vulnerable there. I, I share info more daily there. Um, and so Emmy and I connected there and then we kind of similar to you and I, we just like, Hey, you know, I appreciate what you've done. You appreciate what I've done. And we just kind of chatted and, and that was it. Like none of us hit each other up for anything. And then we just chatted for a little bit. And then, um, then he made an intro to a guy that does a certain SEO thing and, and it just kind of kept in touch and we go back and forth and send each other's kudos here and there. And so I, when you guys connected and I it said, Hey, Emmy's got a thing going on on Facebook. So I checked it out because we're friends and here we are. Look at that. Emmy, Emmy's, 
next level smart. Like he's too smart for me. He's just crazy. I love him. Um, but yeah. uh, he, he knows everyone, everyone. Yeah. I've never met a more connected person than that guy. You know, what's funny is, is you nailed it. Like usually when you have those, like I went to this networking thing like a week ago and this guy's sitting at the table that I'm at and he goes, so I work with, um, you know, celebrities and politicians in Europe and like business owners in Africa. And like, it was so pukey that it was fake. And so Emmy comes rolling around he's like, he's like saying the same stuff, but you're like, I think this guy's legit, but I don't yeah. know. That's a lot of stuff. Like, uh, I don't, mm. <laughs> so, like, I thought he was totally full of crap, dude. When it, the first time I met him, I got on the phone with him, uh, through my business partner. And she's like, this is guy, you got to meet him. You're going to love him. I'm like, all right, I get on. Of course, you know, if you guys listen to the interview, big accent, right? I can hardly understand the guy because he talks so fast. And uh, we get on and he's telling me about some of the stuff that he's doing. And I got off the phone. I said, Lord, this guy's full of crap. Like I, nobody can do that much. And um, it's true, but uh, he is, he's legit. <laughs> he's the real deal, yeah. man. I have never seen anything like him. And uh, what he's been through in his life and how he's gotten there is, uh, is something to be learned from. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, he's a cool guy. Yeah. So um, that's how we got connected. And now we're on a podcast, guys. It just goes to show you, if you reach out, maybe you'll get your shot. Who knows? Um, yeah. But dude, let's dive into your story a little bit. I don't know anything about you other than the fact that you seem like a smart dude. And uh, if nothing else, you know how to put together a bio that intrigues people. So um, give us the, the short background about it's radio for seven years, marketing, MBA, jazz team and Shark Tank deals and plus married and have three kids. Like, Give us the five minute uh, cliff note summary version of your life and how you got to where you're at today and a little sneak peek for people of what they can expect us to kind of dive into further. Cool. Yeah. So I'll kind of give you the abbreviated version and we can just let it go wherever it goes from there. Um, so I, I started a, a company called SEO National in 2007. And the, the backstory on how I got to running an international company was, um, is we'll go back maybe high school, college years. Um, back then, internet wasn't really commercial. Like it was starting to obviously be pretty popular and well used, but there wasn't like design classes and marketing classes yet. Hmm. And so I just kind of dabbled in it because it was kind of cool. It was just something new and fun. And, um, you know, part of my interest came from being from probably a lower class fa financial family. And there's no sad story behind it. It wasn't like my childhood right. was a wreck. Um, but I didn't have computers at home or anything like that. And so I was really interested. I mean, even way, way, way back, like sixth grade, seventh grade, um, I took typing classes because I'm like, hell yeah, I want to do typing. Like this thing's cool. So I always had this kind of thing in the back of my mind, like computers are cool. And, and so I just dabbled in it. And then fast forward a little bit uh, to college and I was taking generals because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And, and I think that's really important for uh, aspiring entrepreneurs to, to keep in mind is like, I was cool with not knowing what I wanted to do. I was, I was comfortable with that. Mm. I was like, I'm going to figure it out. It's, I'm not going to chase all these things. I'm just going to experiment and then figure out what I like and don't like. So I was just doing generals and I took an internship at a, a radio station. And back then it was called Mill Creek Broadcasting. Um, now it's called Broadway Media. And the funny thing about radio is, is like if you get into radio and you want to get on air, usually you end up having to take a really crappy internship at a station that you hate. And I had the total opposite experience. I, I went and worked for a, a hip hop station uh, called U92. And, and it was awesome. I, so I got to intern at a station I loved. And within two months, I was on air. And so I did on air for about seven years. But at the same time, I also knew it was something that I didn't want to do indefinitely because if you know anything about radio, you'll hear the talent come and go. And 
I mean, it's not like you can just go to the other radio station across the street because people will recognize your voice. So you got to move out of state. Now, so, real quick, did, did you just like luck of the draw happen to stumble into that radio, like on it becoming on air or did you get picked <laughs> because you were talented or like, how'd you get, I mean, two months is a pretty fast time to be on the radio. Yeah. So my first foot in the door was, um, I was working at my day job and I called in, they were, they were doing just one of the normal giveaways. Like they were giving away tickets to, do you, do you remember little Bow Wow? Mm-mm. Remember that guy? <laughs> so I'm probably too young for that, huh? So, um, he, they were giving away tickets to little Bow Wow and, uh, and so I called in and I won the tickets. And what was funny is when, and I didn't know until later when you're on, the, when I was a talent on air, but they do major editing behind the scenes. So they record a call and they chop it up to make it funny and whatever. Right. So the guy who would later become my boss, the promotions director, Scott, him and I are still good friends. Um, he chops it up and I was really, I was really bland on, on the, on the, on the phone call and he gets, so he plays, he plays my recording and says, congratulations, Damon. And then he hangs up. But then while he's still on the air, he goes, man, if I was that boring, I'd kill myself or something like that. And wow. Uh, no. <laughs> and so, but what was funny is in between the recording and the airing, we were talking offline and I go, Hey, um, uh, how, how do I get my foot in the door on radio? And he goes, Dude, you already won the tickets to the show. If you want, just just come out and uh, come come an hour early. Help me set up, and and we'll go from there. So I went out and I just interned on that that one show. And then he says, "Hey, you know, you you did good work. So let's do this other." And so I just started doing what's called remotes, where you go to these promotional events, you set up a concerts and shows. And so that's how I got my foot in the door. And then um, the way I got on air is when I was in the in the radio station, I obviously met the other staff. And I just kind of sit in every once in a while and learn the board, which you know, the equipment. And yeah. then and then my my boss and his friend. So so the first guy that was teased to me about the show, his name's Scott, he was the promotions director. Well, his friend, Zach Davis, who I'm also friends with still, um, he was the program director. So he was the one that that worked on air and managed the on air staff. And he goes, Hey, we have a, an opening overnight. So it was like the late night where I started, where, yeah. where there's, there's less risk, right? Cause less people are li- listening. Right. So I started doing that. And um, then I got bumped up to doing weekends and then I got bumped up to covering shifts of the day talent. And then I, I just started filling in the gaps and, and just in, improved my experience. So yeah, it was, it was a couple, um, you know, chance timings that evolved. That that's super cool. It's actually funny. I I never was on air, but I uh, interned for a radio station. Same same thing. I won a prize. I went there to pick it up. They were <laughs> doing a doing an internship. They were actually looking for an intern, um, and I think they were looking for two. But then I showed up. I went in there, and they liked me, so they brought on three. And it was me and these two other girls, and we would just go and uh, we'd help them set up for events. And for me, I wanted to learn sales, and I knew that they had a really good sales team. Um, they're at that radio station. It was like a group of like five. And, um, so I would intern, I would go and like do my shift for a couple hours. And then I would sit like in the office until the head sales guy would get off the, like his sales calls or whatever. And I just kept asking like over and over, like, can I just sit next to you? Right? Like, can I just sit in your office, and, like <laughs> learn? And so I would go and like drive around with him and whatnot. And I had no idea who this guy was, but apparently like he was the president of like this big, like multi-state thing. And he flew in once a week back and forth from like Minnesota on a private jet and all that. Um, but yeah, that's how I got my start. So anyway, funny story there, but, um, back to your story. So you, you do this, you get involved with radio and then what happens? So I, I had kind of 
kept doing the website thing on the side just for fun. And I, I had started a car enthusiast website. Um, I was really big into cars in my early 20s. And the the car website started to gain traction. And so I, I started thinking, well, how do I make this better? And so that's when I got more into web design. And then I said, how do I monetize this? And so that's how I started teaching myself marketing, online marketing. And so I was the guy that, that you always hear about that kind of did it on the side for a while. Yeah. And then I, I got better at it. And, and so when I was in radio, in between doing your on-air breaks where you talk on the mic, um, a lot of times you're just kind of sitting there. And so I would work on my websites because we had the internet in the studio. Hmm. And so I would just kind of dabble on my websites. And that's how that's where I spent some time growing the audience for my personal hobby sites. And then I, I, I felt confident enough, or at least I had enough exposure with people knew that that I did websites on the side that, that more people started asking, like, hey, can you do a little website for me for cheap? And so I started doing that. And then eventually I took um, my first uh, official job in, in the web space. And I, I worked for this really successful entrepreneur guy doing um, landing page design. And then after a while, I was like, hey, I got enough um, income. For, uh, half my income came from my day job and half my income came from the side hustle. But 80% of my time was consumed by the day job. So I said, why don't I stick at this for a little while until my side hustle can pay the bills and then I'll quit the day job. And that's going to suck to lose half that income, but I'm going to free up 80% of my time. Yeah. And so that's when I, I, I took the leap of faith and it worked out good. I, I, it only took me like, I want to say six weeks, two months to get that income back because mm. I could dedicate my time to my, my side clients who are now my main clients. And yeah. Uh, so when you, when you say you got started with, like, we just set up a website, right? Like what, mm -hmm. what do you mean? Like you just post this stuff? Like, what does that even look like? Like I'm from so, the, the social media generation, dude. Like I get on Instagram and Facebook. So when people say like, they go to like hang out on websites or like get interested yeah. in stuff, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's actually a perfect example because, um, the social media is part of why I stopped putting all the effort into this, this particular website. So the website was deleterides.com. Um, I still own the domain, but if you go there, there's nothing there. It's just archived right now. Um, but it was a car enthusiast website. So it started as, as uh, kind of like a portfolio. So I would go around, think, think like Fast and Furious cars before Fast and Furious came out. Okay. So my website came out like a year or two before Fast and Furious came out, but it was like the same theme of cars. It was the Turbo Civics and whatever. Yeah. And so I would go around and anytime. So I had a couple friends that you know, I had one of those kind of cars and I had a couple of friends with those kind of cars. And so we kind of knew other people with those kind of cars. And so when I built this website, I said, Hey, can I kind of feature your car? Like, here's this little sheet that I printed. Can you fill it out? Like, what's the year make a model of your car and what have you done to it? Hmm. So I would, I would take that and translate it on online and, and take pictures and, and build little bios of these cars. And so that's how it started. But then I was like, okay, well, I, before Google Analytics came around, there there was this tool called Webalizer, and it's still around, but most people don't use it anymore. And so I stumbled into that, and I saw that I was getting traffic on my website. So that's when I was like, well, well, how do I do something more with this website? Mm. And so I started a forum on there, and the forum ultimately became what grew the website. Yeah, answers your question about you know how do you hang out on a website? And so we had a message board and it grew. And at some point, so I'm in, I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. And at one point, it became like the biggest car enthusiast website there was here in Utah. And there was this other one that we would kind of compete against. Um, so that's, that's 
what it was. It started as a car hobby site and grew into this little community. And, and it was really cool to experience. And I, I'm, a, I'm friends with a ton of those people from 20 years ago. It's, huh. I actually made a post like two months ago, joking like, hey, it's the 20 year anniversary. Holy cow, can you believe it? <laughs> that's, that's crazy. That's awesome. So how did that translate then? So you sounds like you started like doing just website builds for people, right? Uh-huh. And yeah. then you got into marketing from there? Yeah, because I wanted to figure out how to monetize the traffic. Yeah. And so I, I started getting into... So my first foot in the door in the marketing was, was Google AdSense. Like, how do I monetize this? And, and what year was that? Uh, let's see. I'm going to say around 2002, 2003. So like... Kind of that's what like Ty, even Ty Lopez was getting in at that time. So you're like early, early stages of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So AdSense was where I got in. Uh, you know, a funny story uh, about AdSense. Uh, so when you know the bachelor like the show yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so um my wife my wife and i we've been married for 13 years and um when this is probably like year two or three we were married and we we're sitting in her house and she was watching the bachelor and the first couple years of the bachelor they um wouldn't tell you who the upcoming bachelor was going to be until it like started and so there was like this gap between when the one bachelor ended and the new one came up well this one year that is the first year they started to announce it in advance. So as the one, the final episode closed, they're like, Hey, stay tuned to learn about the next guy. And so we were watching the bachelor and it was this guy named Andy Baldwin and he was this Marine guy. And so I was like, wait a second, they've never done that before. And so I started looking up who Andy Baldwin was and there was like no websites about him. And I go, this guy's, this guy's going to be the bachelor. So he's going to blow up and there's no websites about him. So that night I stood, I, I stayed up for like three hours just collecting any information I could find about Andy Baldwin, any pictures I could find. And I built andybaldwin.net and I just slapped AdSense all over it. Oh and, my, that's awesome. That thing made me a couple thousand bucks, like for three hours worth of work. And I didn't do really nothing after that. And huh. so um, I repeated it the next year. There was a guy after that named Brad Womack. Um, people caught on to my tactic though. And then so I had more competition. So I didn't make as much the next year. But um, yeah, so AdSense was my foot in the door to understanding monetizing websites. And, and so then, of course, when you understand how you can monetize a website, you get more into marketing and, and figuring out how do I make it better to monetize it more. Yeah. Huh. That's really interesting. And I think that it's super important for people. So like I come from the Russell Brunson world uh, of ClickFunnels, where uh, I would say that's much more internet marketing than most worlds. Um, and so... I think what's interesting is you got your first start in making money online, AdSense type stuff in, in small margins, right? I mean, you did that three hours of work and you made a couple thousand dollars, but it was pennies that you were being paid per impression, right? I mean, it wasn't thousands yeah. of dollars. Whereas I came in and like, I kind of, like I got started on Instagram and I was basically told right away, go high ticket, raise your prices, yeah. go up, yada, yada, right? And so yeah. I like started selling digital products for a thousand bucks, coaching for five grand. And don't get me wrong, we did a really good job with it. I mean, my parents taught me how to work hard and do quality work, all that growing up on the farm and whatnot. But um, then I reached this point where I was like, so this isn't actually reality, right? Like this is like a hundred percent margins because I'm growing audiences for free because I've hacked the algorithm, right? And gotten lucky on timing. Um, 90% margins in business and profit, that's not normal. Right. And right. Um, I think that a lot of times people that start where I started have a really hard time scaling businesses because they don't understand 
how um, like normal business works. Like 20, 30% profit margin is really good or making penny, yeah. penny margins, right? Like you were doing and penny payouts and, and scaling that big. Um, that's much more difficult to do. And if you can master that, all of a sudden selling higher ticket, you know, things like that becomes much, much easier. So when did you transition into, I imagine, I mean, if you work with Utah Jazz and Shark Tank stuff, when did you start transitioning into like higher ticket type stuff? So the, the first couple of years, it was just cool. To, so we're talking like 2007 um, when I officially uh, started my business. The first couple of years, it was just cool to be self-employed. So I, I you know, was working at home um, and I just, honestly, I just kind of took it easy for a couple of years. And, uh, and I mean that in respect of business, uh, not like I was just sitting around being a bum. Right. But like I just, I was a one man show and it was cool. And so after probably, probably like two years, three years, I, I realized, hey, I, I have a really unique opportunity here and I should probably do something with it. And so I, I started looking into scaling and hiring staff. And you, you know what's funny is I, I, I'm not one to tend to be overly impressed or impacted by books or motivational things, but I listened to the four hour work week and there was little snippets of it that I was like, I can do that tomorrow. And so I already had like one VA, but really what I took away from reading that book was, why don't I have more VAs? And so I, I started hiring more virtual assistants to, to, to start to unload um, some of my workloads so I could focus on, on the more important things and growing. And so I, I grew for a couple of years. And when I first started, the, the SEO thing was I charged... 200 bucks, 300 bucks a month. And then I, I'd slowly increase it and I got to like 750 a month. And I remember every time, probably with in most businesses, it's, it's kind of difficult to increase prices. Like you, it, it's a, a risk reward thing where you, yeah. you obviously want to do it for monetary purposes, but you also hopefully don't want to do it just to rob your clients. And so I had to justify increasing the prices so I could sleep comfortably at night. I didn't want to just increase the prices. Yeah. So I started thinking, okay, well, how much, what can I do to add more value to what we offer in SEO services? And so I just went through this continual evolution where I would, I would uh, figure out how to get better results and be more aggressive and be more strategic. And, and so we slowly increased. And, and as you increase your business and we have, we start to attract clients for several thousands of dollars per month. Once you, once you establish yourself, you can drive results. You you enter into like an inner circle of of a high yeah. highly successful businesses, and so I was fortunate enough, until last year I never spent a dollar on advertising my company. That's and amazing. So we grew all that time up to you know the last twelve thirteen years, and and we got in with a, a certain you know client who introduced us to another client, and and I could probably do like one of those CSI maps. Where I, I drag yarn across pins on the on the board, yeah, and I yeah. could connect like client to client to client, and I could probably connect ninety percent of my clients back from other clients, and I still have the first two or three clients from twelve years ago. They're still clients. That's amazing. So you seem like a very level headed person, very like logical, and and I've never met you. Like I said, what thirty six hours in. So like, yeah. but just in talking to you, you seem like someone that's more of a logical, analytical type person that can see things clearly. I mean, simply from the just the fact of hey, I, I gotta actually justify increasing my prices, right? Add more value to that, not just just cause for the sake of it. How has that? Or and if I'm totally wrong on that analysis, feel free to let me know. But 
-hmm. if that being the case, how has that helped you or hindered you um, in your business and served you to allow you to have consistent results? Because it appears to me that you're the type of person that slow, steady wins the race. And rather than solve problems, you know, do something, create a bunch of problems and solve them, you want to solve them as you go, avoid as much conflict or I should say problems as you can, just run a tight ship with that. Is that an accurate uh, analysis? Uh, yeah, pretty close. Um, I, I'd say we deviate, uh, I deviate from that a little bit in the sense that I'm not opposed to risk or problems, but what helps me proactively minimize those is I'm very process driven. Mm. So anytime I do anything, if, if, if I do a task and I go, Hey, I'm probably going to do this again, I'll stop right there and build a process out of it. And so we'll, in our CRM and our project manager system, um, and this kind of ties into your question a moment ago about at what point did you start scaling? So six or seven years ago, um, I went, I had a, a, a VC group that was interested in buying my company and they just kind of came to me unsolicited. And, and so I, I ended up turning them down because the conversation was kind of gross and slimy and I didn't feel comfortable, but I learned a lot in the conversation. And, and what I learned was that buyers primarily want two things. So the first thing is, is, is they want a turnkey business where you can just give them the keys and they can just do their thing. Um, the second thing a buyer wants is they, they want to know where the fire is so they can pour more fuel on it. They just want to scale it. So because of that, I, I really honed in on, on embracing the concept of documenting processes. So we already had processes, obviously, but like half of them were in my head and half of them were on spreadsheets and just really informal. And so at that point, I sat down and I said, I'm going to reproduce every single thing we do in the business and we're going to put it into our CRM. And that sucked. Like, that I was like, bet. oh my God. God. How long did that take? About a year. Wow. And, and so that's on top of running the business. And how big is the business at this point, like revenue client wise? Um, so, I mean, we do seven figures and we average, um, we average 30 to 40 clients. So we don't do high volume clients, we do high higher value clients and, and just focus on quality campaigns more than, you know, SEO is a funny industry because most of them are turn and burn and they just take on as many clients as they can and then just rip them all off. <laughs> right, so, right. Just get, get them to pay you and there's another client coming. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's, that's how we, we got to scaling. And, and so back to your question about, um, you know, do, do you take on a lot of risk? And, and so I, I, I try to proactively avoid it, but when it happens, I don't get, I don't shy away from it. Um, it's right. not like a big deal. Um, but what's funny is, you know, you coming from the click funnels world. So you and I go in reverse directions. Yeah. Um, so I just barely started going down the click funnels path about <laughs> a year or two ago. And you know what? It's, um, it's been an interesting experience because like I said, until last year, I hadn't spent any money on advertising for the company. Yeah. And when I did start advertising, it was through a funnel process. And uh, I think funnels, I, I totally get like the Russell Brunson, you're, you're one funnel away mentality, but you got to be in the right industry because I tell you what, SEO and funnel sucks. Like I've spent 50 grand and I'm nowhere. I got nothing to show for it. Um, I've, I've worked with huge agencies. I've worked with people that are really credible and it's a funny thing, man, like with, with the type of campaigns that we're trying to pursue, uh, you know, funnels don't work or they haven't worked. We haven't given up. Um, but it's, it's, when you say that, do you mean like SEO to a funnel page 
versus like to a typical website page? Or like, what do you mean by it's not working for you in that sense? So we have ads running. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of paying people to do what they, what they do. And, and so I don't want to interrupt these people that I'm paying. Um, and so when they build out these funnels, they're doing ads like, you know, get your free website audit, which will convert them to a lead. And, and we give them, we're giving away tons of really good value stuff. And, and later I, I can give you guys and give your audience a link to, to download some of the stuff for free. We're, yeah. we're giving away like these nine page PDFs where it's like, here's your, here's your roadmap. This is everything that SEO national does. We just packaged it in an abbreviated version for you. And so it's not like any of that gimmicky stuff. It's legit stuff. Right. And so we're, we're getting these. So I'll, I'll break it down into to two different funnels we've had. So like the first group that did our funnels, um, they, they got a lot of leads, but they weren't the right type. They were like painters and plumbers and they were business owners, but it's not like a, a business owner of a painter or plumber is ever going to care to sit down and want to have an SEO conversation really. Um, and so they weren't attracting the right types of business owners. Now this other funnel group that's doing it, man, I'm super impressed with the types of lead magnets they create and how polished the process is, but they're just having a hard time getting the right leads. So it's, it's been funny. Um, it's been interesting for me to, to walk through this process and be on the other side of, of the conversation where you're like, Hey, what, when are things going to start kicking out? You know? Yeah. And, and so they're running traffic to a funnel to get leads for your business. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it is. I, I feel like with the ClickFunnels world and, and I don't know, I mean, obviously there are bigger fans of Russell Brunson than I am, but I am a, a pretty big Russell Brunson fan. I, I don't often speak poorly of him. And I, I think that he has a really genuine heart. However, I have spoken often on the fact that there is a, uh, maybe a false hope or a delusional aspect that's created, not directly because of him, but just with the, the whole culture that goes with a one funnel away type promise. Right. Yeah. And I think he's aware of that. Um, I mean, he's not stupid by any means, probably more aware than I am of it. Um, but what's interesting to me is that Russell knows what to do so well for himself and is like the master of creating this culture, this brand, this thing around it. And yeah. people, because he's so genuine and passionate and because it works so well for him, people, I feel like, and I'd be curious to know your thoughts on this. I feel like people just go and they forget that there's other ways to do it that could potentially work better for their business. Right? Like, I've found them and we have an agency a funnel building agency for people that want to sell more digital coaching type products. And we don't target anybody in the click funnels world. And we've gotten over 80% or more of our clientele simply through networking, right? And yeah. just hitting them up. And you know, we hired a Facebook ads person and we were spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars to get a lead through the door. And like you said, wasn't qualified. Now I'm not saying that those don't work, but why would I stop doing what I'm already doing? Do you feel like maybe in the ClickFunnels world, and I don't want to single out the ClickFunnels world, any culture-like world like that, that <laughs> people uh, forget that there's maybe other ways? Yeah, for sure. I think I 100% agree with everything you just said. Um, what's funny is the, the SEO world, uh, you can kind of say is like the the old old school mentality, I guess, compared to some of the, these newer generations of marketers. Yeah. And you kind of touched on it, you know, when you said you, you started in the <laughs> world. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing you got to remember is it's not a zero sum game. Right. If, if 
if pay-per-click is working, it doesn't mean you don't do SEO. Like those right. are kind of the, the equal comparables is pay-per-click and SEO. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, when I have these conversations, they say, well, why wouldn't I do pay-per-click? Because it's faster. Well, it is faster. So yes, do it. Get some cash flow. And then also do SEO because SEO is going to be slower, but it's going to bring more later. And it doesn't, it's not always tied to a budget. So every form of online marketing has its pros and cons. And so you got to find the right balance to you. And if all 50 things that you can do work, then do all 50. But no, you're, you're exactly right. And another good example is, um, I mentioned earlier, LinkedIn is my platform of choice. Yeah. Last year, probably, yeah, almost about, about a, exactly a year ago. Um, you know, I was, I was like most people on LinkedIn where I just had it, my bio on there and let dust gather on it. Yeah. And then, and then he said, why don't, why don't <laughs> yeah. so I said, why don't I see if I can do something with this? Um, because when I would post, I'd get more traction than I do on Facebook. And so I really sat down and made a, a conscious effort towards doing social influencing on LinkedIn and took a couple months to kind of work out the kinks. But after a while, I'd say posting vulnerably and honestly and transparently on, on LinkedIn and giving away free SEO advice without a little sneaky sales pitch at the end, that probably brought me 100 to 150 grand in extra business last year. Isn't that crazy? What just simple value can do? Yeah. So you mentioned um, LinkedIn is your platform of choice. LinkedIn is much more businessy type of uh, social platform, at least for now. Um, and I think that that's where they'll stay for a while. Organic reach seems to be blowing up on there. I have tons of friends that just swear by it. And I'm starting to see my Facebook newsfeed full of ads of people pitching me that I should be on LinkedIn. Um, but I guess I am of the mentality that paid ads work well. I mean, they do. And I have nothing against them. Um, I think they probably work better B to C more so than B to B. Not always the case, but you know that is. But I just have this mentality that says you're not going to find a quality high ticket person through an ad, and that is a rule rather than an exception. There's always an exception to the rule. But I'm thinking about myself. I cannot remember the last time, if ever, I have spent thousands of dollars on something through an advertisement. I've never booked a free call, gotten on the phone with someone and done it, yet I've closed five, 10, 20, 50, $60,000 deals simply mm-hmm. by hitting someone up. And I've shelled out 10, 20, $30,000 at a time simply through networking with, you know, and referrals. Um, yeah. I'd be curious to know, you landed the Utah Jazz as a client. Did that come through a paid ad or <laughs> a network? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know the answer, but how did, how did that happen? Well, you know, it's funny, you know, the answer without me even telling, we haven't talked about this. So, so for the listeners, this question was not discussed prior to him just asking me. We have no, we literally have never talked before. And we had a two minute conversation before this call. Yeah. So no, you're right. It came through a referral. Um, so I got the Utah jazz through a gentleman who found me on LinkedIn and he, he was shopping around trying to find an SEO agency for his company who was a, a security company. They, they, they offer security technology, um, for like, you know, major events and arenas. And so, um, he was shopping around SEO agencies and I was one of the candidates and I came in and chatted and, and, and afterwards we talked after he had hired me and he, and he says, you know why we hired your company? Because very few times can you bring somebody in to talk about internet marketing and they don't leave you more confused. He, goes, mm. he says, you didn't dance around anything. You didn't try and be fluffy. 
Um, you told us what worked. You told us what didn't work. Um, so anyway, so I got this, I got this company as a client and then I had only known them for like, uh, two weeks. They were only a client for two weeks. And he goes, Hey, I want to introduce you to, um, can I introduce you to the Utah jazz? And I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I go, yeah. And so, um, this, so he introduces me to this guy, um, named Darren Squires and, Darren says, Hey, uh, I'm the president of the retail division. Um, and we are, th- th- there's like this whole other backstory to, to why they're looking to bring in SEO that I'll kind of skip over, but he goes, Hey, we're looking to bring in SEO. And, um, you know, I, I was referred to you. Let's chat. And so I went to lunch with him and another gentleman from Utah jazz and, and same kind of thing. I was just like, here's what we do and here's why we're good at it. And, and answered all the other questions. Uh, like I never talked down about other SEO companies, but if a client or a lead asks me and says, Hey, we got burned before I'm going to tell them. Yeah. You know, unfortunately it's part of the industry. And so I think that's part of the appeal is the honesty. Yeah. So no, you're right. Came through a referral of a referral and that guy's since sent other referrals too. Yeah. That's so, it's so interesting. And do you know who Sam Ovens is? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I love Sam. Um, love his mentality. I'm, I'm business. Um, and, um, one of the things that he says is, Results speak louder than everything. And the person that can make it simplest and clearest wins, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds to me very much like the exact model that you just followed there. I mean, there's no way when you were uh, at a seven year, seven years in radio while doing your website on the side that you could have went and landed the Utah Jazz as a client. And I feel like people want to go and make this jump. And they're like, yeah. man... I want to leave my nine to five job, but I couldn't do that because I can't land the Utah jazz as my first client. And it's like, well, no kidding. The process is at least what it sounds like from you get results, get good, be able to produce consistency, be honest. And then the bigger the client, the simpler it needs to be, right? Like they don't need to know the details. They just need to be like explained, like explained clearly. So talk to me a little bit about the simplicity version of things when it comes to acquiring customers, because I think people, just they talk themselves out of sales. Yeah, you're totally right. It's so funny to talk about all these things because uh, a lot of these things I think in my own mind, but it, you, you, you don't always have the opportunity to talk to other people to understand it as well. Yeah. And so when you talk about click funnels and the ups and downs, I'm like, yes, yeah, Josh knows what's up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, you, you got to put in the work. Right? You can't be an expert unless you're an expert. And I think the ClickFunnels world, and, and, and same thing that you said, I don't have anything in this ClickFunnels world. It sometimes works, sometimes it doesn't. It, it's not necessary for everybody in every industry, but, but it doesn't mean that it can't work. Right. But at the same time, the culture that it breeds is exactly what you said. Just sell a ton of crap by any means. Yeah. Uh, and the, the problem with that is if you get lucky and you get business you are not going to have a reputation and are not going to last. And so like, if you look at at my backstory as the exact opposite uh, until the last year or so, I've never made an effort to promote SEO national. I've never made an effort to make me as the face on LinkedIn of SEO national. Yeah. But we have established a, a reputation with the right people and we don't have a we don't have a huge reputation. We're not even though we deal with clients internationally, we are not known internationally, but we are known by the right people. Yeah. And so yeah, you gotta you gotta put in the work and establish um like I said, you you're not an expert unless you're an expert and, and that an takes expert. time. 
It just, really does. At, at time, and, and I think it's interesting, time can be, I mean, there's 24 hours in a day, but if one person works eight hours a day and you work 18, you're going to burn up that time a lot faster. You know, I mean, uh, I've grown, managed 5 million followers on you know, social media. And so people started referring to me in, uh, as an expert in the ClickFunnels world way before I thought I was an expert at anything, right? They're like, oh my gosh, you know, you've, you've gone and you've grown 100,000 followers or whatever, you're an expert. And I'm like, yeah, I did it once. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. But like, when I was sharing, like, I mean, I'm a big documenter, right? I, I'm a big Gary Vee fan in that sense, not for everything, but documentation mm-hmm. and hard work. And so I would just share, you know, share the stuff that we were doing. And people just thought I was the coolest thing since sliced bread. And I'm like, you do realize like all I'm doing is just working, right? Like I'm just doing the yeah. same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. And um, that's the one thing, you know, not to pick on the ClickFunnels. And once again, just to clarify on <laughs> ClickFunnels, ClickFunnels guys is just a software. That's it, right? Like ClickFunnels will work if you use it how it's designed to do and it won't if you, you know, doesn't. I mean, obviously there's a culture and an ideology and, you know, things around that, a thought process. But in all reality, they're selling you a $300 a month software that, overall does a pretty good job. I mean, it has its glitches, but I mean, overall, it's a pretty good software for the price. I very much enjoy to use it for myself. But um, anytime that you get into this methodology of like, this is the way or, well, Russell said, well, Grant said, well, Gary said, well, Ty said, well, you know, uh, Damon said, that's when it's like, okay, well, yeah, but you got to look at like the picture as a whole. You know what I mean? Not just one thing or another. But um, I do want to move on though to family. Because this is something that I am actually very curious about. And I want to give a little context around you because I'm going to ask this selfishly um, as someone that is... I don't have a family. So I am, I'm 25 years old. I, um, I have a girlfriend. We're pretty serious, but I'm not married, no kids, um, and don't plan on having them for a while. But I grew mm-hmm. up in a uh, big family, eight kids. I'm the second oldest farm community. You work hard and, um, family was everything. And one of the things that I I think we probably grew up in relatively similar style of financial homes. We were not uh, rich by any means. It was paycheck to paycheck, but it certainly wasn't like, we certainly didn't know hunger or were poor, right? I mean, my parents didn't have money, but you know, um, middle-class. And so we grew up on a farm. And one of the things that I will always remember about my dad and, um, who my parents were not great with money, but they were amazing when it came to caring about their kids and their faith and what was important. And there was never anything, anything, no amount of money, no amount of fame, no amount of anything that could have bought him out to be away from his family. Um, unless, you know, like obviously if he needed to pay the bills, I mean, he had to do the work, but his family and putting them and making time for him above any self, you know, selfish desires. He gave up golf. He gave up everything to spend time every waking moment that he could outside of work with his family. And for me, I learned just how big of a sacrifice having a child was by watching my parents and watching so many people that choose business over their personal life and over their kids and watch their families fall apart. And I'm like, if I do that, no amount of success, you know, my dad is not going to die with a lot of money. I mean, barring some, you know, win the lottery type deal and they don't play. So not going to happen. But <laughs> I, I consider my dad one of the most successful people that I know, simply because I believe that he knew how to prioritize what was important. But for me, I firmly believe that there is a way to do both and to be successful 
and to have a family. I believe that, you know, me as a Christian, that's biblical. I'm not going to go down the faith route, but like just in general, I, I've seen it happen before, but I have not really gone in and been able to talk to a lot of people about this. And I look at people like Gary Vaynerchuk and I'm like, dude, you're awesome. I love you. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm the guy that Gary Vaynerchuk roasts on the, the very first clapback of the, the Jets when he roasts the Patriots fan. That's me, right? Like I love Gary, but I can't, I can't support that lifestyle of, I mean, he's got kids and they never see him. You know what yeah. I mean? And I don't want to judge. It's not my thing. I don't talk down to it. How have you figured out how to balance it? And what advice would you have for me to, I mean, I, I'm going to get married someday and I want to have kids someday, but the sacrifice that I know that that entails and what you have to give up for that, how do you balance that and how have you done it? Yeah, so this is actually a topic I really enjoy talking about and, and it, it tends to be really interesting to listeners too. Um, so you said you come from a family of eight. I came from a family of seven, so I'm the oldest of seven kids. And that, that plays a small part into the, the answer because I, I was able to see and quantify, like you always hear that, oh, when you have kids, time goes by fast. And, and, and I'll agree it does. But when growing up the oldest of seven, so my, my mom had divorced and married two or three times. And, and so over that time, I have some half brothers and sisters who I, I didn't even know the difference between a brother and a, and a yeah. half brother until I was like 20. And my stepbrother asked me and he goes, Hey, those are like, those are your half brothers, right? And I'm like, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, <laughs> like it, was, it was just family, right? Right, so, right. But over the course of my mom marrying and remarrying, um, th there was a gap. So it goes me and then two years younger is the brother. Then it skips like 12 years. And then I got two sisters and then three brothers. And so by the, what's funny is my wife threw, before my wife and I were married, we were dating. She threw a baby shower for my mom, for my youngest brother. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so ha having, having younger siblings that far down the chain, I was able to more distinctly quantify how quickly time goes. And, and a good example is one time I had my brother um, over at my house and he was probably about eight and we were sitting in the backyard and, and we had one of those little like cheap Walmart pools that he was playing yeah. in. And I, I was just sitting there and I like zoned out for a minute looking at him. And I was like, you know what, one day, like, like tomorrow, this moment is going to be gone and he's going to be 18 and he's not going to come over anymore. And now he's 20. The wow. brother is now 20. And so I can very distinctly compare black and white experiences night and day between when my siblings were a certain age and now my oldest is eight. Mm. Now my oldest oh, is eight in that time frame. So that really helped me put it into perspective. And so I always, I was always kind of in the back of my mind, I was like, ah, you know, I'm a, I'm a family guy, you know, and even before you got a family, you can probably comment and, and say, yeah, I'm a family guy, even though you don't have one. Right. And so, so when my wife and I got married, um, we were married for five years before we had kids and we knew we'd have kids, but we also wanted to enjoy ourselves. And so it was really important for us to travel and, and just figure things out. And at, at the point where I mentioned earlier, um, I quit my day job. Part of that consideration was future family. Like, is this, yeah. th this is a risk. And so to me, it was worth it to take that risk before kids and, and hopefully figure it out by the time I have kids. And so that was part of the decision when I took that leap. And so for my, my early, well, actually all my 20s, I was just like, I need to grind it out right now because I don't want to grind it out when I have kids. 
And, and that's not to say that I don't work, um, you know, with the exception of the last probably two months, which, which is kind of another story we can get to in a minute if you want. But with the exception of the last two months, um, I, I still do like the long days. But here's the difference. I stop at 5 and after 5 p.m. is family time. And I very rarely work weekends anymore unless I have some crazy deadline. Um, so the way I get in my long, my extra hours and my long days is I wake up early. Mm. And I don't like to wake up early, but I like having <laughs> my, my family time later. And so for me, waking up early is the better option than staying up late. Because when I'm staying up late, I could be playing with my kids. Yeah. But when I wake up early, no, they're asleep. There's no way they're waking up. <laughs> yeah. So... So I make a very conscious effort to still, you know, having a business is kind of like having another kid. And, yeah. and so it constant attention. So the way I balance it is managing my time. So early mornings is part of my routine. But the other part is blocking off time where business can't interrupt family time. So like I said, five o'clock, our phone shut off. Like you can't call in after five, even if you try. Wow. Um, in the mornings, when if it, if it's a sunny day, I want to walk my kids to school, so I block off my calendar eight a.m. to nine a.m. and then also three p.m. to four p.m. So if I have the opportunity to walk my kids to school, I can. Like you cannot get on my schedule during those hours. So you gotta if you want to balance it, it's got to be like one of those things where you pay your bills. When you pay your bills, you just pay your bills, and that's part of the game. Right. And so with family time, if you want family time, you set aside family time and that's part of the game. And, and so I, I do agree with you. It, it is possible. And, and it's not to say that my method will work for everybody, right. but I, I do think it is possible. So what would you say a, a, actually let's start here. What time do you wake up in the morning? Roughly? Uh, four 30 or five. Oh gosh, man, that's so early. <laughs> uh, um, so I, Recently, actually, like in within the last two weeks, um, I, I'm big on mindset, super big on mindset, actually, and uh, I've studied countless books on it. And one of the things when it comes to my belief systems and owning, you know, your life and having freedom, is I realize that I have to face the dark areas of my mind that I don't like, and I have to be able to own the things that have control over me. And there's two things that have control over me, meaning that I will avoid them at all cost. And that is one, waking up early, and two, <laughs> running. And so I'm like, all right, I am committed to this. And, you know, I have Instagram followers and I have Facebook. So I'm like, if I make a commitment to them and I'm supposed to be this, you know, motivational or not motivational, but like inspirational, you know, 25 year old kid that's going to follow through. I am not about to be embarrassed. So what did I do? I was like, I'm making a change. I'm going to go do this. So seven, actually today's day eight, uh, eight days ago, I made a commitment. I was like, all right, here it goes. And so I normally get up between nine 30 and 10 o'clock in the morning. And so when I say I like, I don't wake up early, I hate the morning. Um, so like 7.30 for me is, you might Super. as well ask me to wait for up at 4.30. You know what I mean? Like my word. So I, I set my alarm for seven o'clock. I'm at about at 7.30. I've done it for eight days and I get up and what do I do? I walk outside, I put on my running shoes and I go for a run. And I'm telling you, the la- day six and this morning were the two hardest days because I was in so much pain. I mean, I'm in so, so sore, so, so sore um, yeah. from it. But I, I like what you say when it comes to, you know, you just make those things. You can't reach them. It's just part of the game, right? That's, that's a choice that you've made. That's the decision you made. There's no questions about that. And I think that when you have that mentality to say, oh, no, that's, that's not an option. Like, that's not a negotiable for me. All of a sudden, then it becomes a part of your life and you're able to follow through with it. But most people set these goals with this thing of like, I'm going to try this. 
right? Versus no, this is just that. And so I like that you brought that up and say like, no, this is just my non-negotiable. And you know, this is where I'm at. What advice though, would you give to an entrepreneur uh, or aspiring entrepreneur that they've got kids, maybe they're, you know, we have, we have a pretty, pretty good range of 18, 20 ish year old listeners all the way up to like even in the late thirties, um, uh-huh. of the podcast and actually quite, quite a big audience, a second largest demographic. There's those mid 30 range and a lot of them have kids and they're, they're wanting to start their entrepreneurship journey or they're just into it. And they're at the beginning where it's basically like having a job. And maybe it's a little bit more of a cushion than that, but like they're still in hustle grind mode and they're trying to balance a family and they're trying to do this. What would your advice be to them in order to more effectively grow their business? Because I mean, you, you have, I don't know whether you'd admit it or not, but you have some pretty good experience when it comes to business, seven figures. I mean, that's a mental battle to get to that. So what advice do you say to them to say, hey, yeah, you're going to have time with your kids, but when it's time to work, here's what I would recommend. Yeah. Well, first of all, good, good, good on you for doing the whole running thing, um, you know. And <laughs> thank you. And 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 that kind of goes into in, into answering your question. Um, you got to figure out uh, when those opportunities exist for you to address the things you want to address. So for you, you said, okay, I'm going to wake up early, and uh, I'm going to wake up early, and and then you just do it. So I think one of the biggest problems that in that delays people's success or inhibits their opportunities for success is overthinking it. You, if you got to wake up early, you got to wake up early. Yeah. And, and it's not like, like I said, I don't like waking up early. I, 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 like I can feel, I can physically feel the bags in my eyes. So you got to figure out, but you know, depending on the, the listener, if they're working mornings, if they're working nights, if they're working swings, like you got to figure out a routine and a routine routine, no matter if it's just one thing or a string of 10 things will make the biggest difference in your ability to execute and, and grow and, and, and take whatever your side hustle is to the next level. So like if you're, if you work mornings and you have nights off, but you want to work, uh, but you want to spend time with your family, then, then spend time with your family. Like you got to take care of yourself personally first before you can move on to the next thing. So get in that family time. But then if your kids go to bed at nine and you're usually up till midnight, quit watching Netflix. Yeah, like, uh, uh, and it's not to say that Netflix is stupid. Get in your enjoyment, but you got to choose. Are Are you going to watch? Well, actually, I'll give you a story. So um, a couple of years ago, I had a friend. Uh, him and I were sitting in his backyard, and he's mm, seven, eight years older than I am, and he was working manual, you know, physical labor, working with the city, doing construction, something like that, and he was complaining about the. The, the physical deterioration of doing that type of work and the lack of ability to, you know, ha- have whatever the finer things in life that he wanted to have. And I was in the infancy of my business. Um, I wasn't nearly at, you know, the type of clients I service now, but I was, I was happy and I was early twenties and I was successful. And, and I asked him, I said, well, why don't you make a sacrifice now? And, Cause he said something about going to college and and I said, well, if that's your thing and you want to go to college, why don't you bite the bullet now and go do two years? And it's going to suck to work all day and then go to college at night. But where are you going to be at in five years or 10 years? And he flat out said, no, I don't want to do that. And that was the most amazing thing to me that, that he just blatantly said, no, I don't want to make progress. Yeah. And it's just, it's a sacrifice. You got to find your window and you got to sit 
every one of us has like a tiny thing that we do that's a time waster, whether it's Netflix, whether it's just whatever. Like there's something in your life. You Everybody, yeah. What, so. what, what, why do you think that is? And I don't want to go down to a huge philosophical debate. We're, you know, we're wrapping up here soon, but why do you think some people are just willing to change? I mean, like for me, and it sounds like for you too. Um, but like, dude, I just, I didn't like my life. I was 22, 23 years old. I had a, I had a career job and I had no college education, right? I was a college dropout and I was working at an insurance firm. I wasn't making great money, but if I would have applied myself, um, I mean, I could have made six figures, right? And within five or six years of, of really going and doing that, I was selling insurance. Um, and I was like, nope. And I just went and did whatever it took, right? I mean, I just grinded, it worked 18 hours a day, six days a week. I, I mean, I didn't have kids, but you know what I mean? Like I just did it. Some people have it and some people don't. Do you believe that some people just have it and some people don't? Or what makes you think that some people are just willing to go take a little bit more risk, sacrifice a little bit more, and some people aren't? I think it's a hybrid. Um, I, I definitely do think that some people are born with it. Um, if there's one thing that I've learned, uh, like I've been in the last two years, I've been kind of like the self-reflective mode where I've been more analytical of, of relationships and why people do things the, the way that they do. And, and I've come to realize that some people are just the way they are. And um, so I think that's part of the equation. Um, but if I had to give like a, a really horrible like percentage estimate I, uh, that I hope nobody quotes me on later, I'd say that, you know, 10, 20% of people, they're, they're just, that's just the way they are. They're never going to succeed. Yeah. Um, that, uh, and they're just going to be stuck in whatever rut they're in. Now, the other, you know, then there's like that 5% who are just superstars. And then everything in between... I think there is, there's a lot of different reasons, but I think everybody in that other, that other bucket has opportunity. So I have this, this um, good friend that I met recently. I'll try not to give away any characteristics of him as he listens later. But um, I, he's, he's a really smart guy. He's a really hard worker, but he's just super gun shy. Um, and he's got some insecurities going on. And, and there, everybody has, whether it's skeletons in the closet or just insecurities, um, I think more people just need to face those. You got to face them, man. Like you got it. That's the big thing. And that's why, I mean, for me, it was a first and not too long ago. I mean, within the past like two, three months, I started just facing the devils in my closet that I was scared to let people know. And I was like, why am I scared to let people know this? I got to face these. And I did that. And then that led me to where I'm at now, which is facing the things that have control over my life, my vices of my wonderful, comfy, adorable bed that I love so much and my, you know, and not running. I mean, who likes cardio? And if people were just willing to face it, then all of a sudden it wouldn't have power them over them anymore. But I just don't understand. I mean, I'm learning more and more. Um, do you think, do you think everybody has the, as a general rule, do you think that everybody has the ability to go and achieve more? Yeah, I think everyone has the opportunity. Um, but whether whether they will or not is another. I think the opportunity is there. You do, so you, you do believe that in a civilized society, of, as a general rule uh, in America, right? That if someone's here, they have the ability to go out and create a better life for themselves. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it, well. You commented. You made a, an interesting comment that where um, you know you, you wanted. To, so as we're talking about facing those insecurities, what a lot of people. And just like you said, uh, you were nervous about people exposing those insecurities to other people. But those are often, I, I, I almost never, and at this point, I can't think of any off the top of my head, 
hear of anybody that say at the point where they finally faced their fears or became more vulnerable and shared their fears, almost every time that helped them. Yeah. And that made them more relatable and that attracted a bigger audience or the clients they wanted to work with. And so you got to realize that people don't want to do business with like faceless companies. They want to do business with Damon Burton because they know him. Yeah. And so in being vulnerable and sharing the behind the scenes and, and becoming relatable, it, it's, it helps you and it helps your target audience. So uh, I, I think it just boils down to giving it a try. They, I think that people are too shy for one reason or another or insecure for one reason or another. And, and there's sometimes like the friend I was mentioning, he'll, he'll be so insecure about some things. And in my mind that, uh, you know, five years ago, I would have called them out and I would have been like, why are you such a wuss? Like, yeah. <laughs> but now I try and find that balance where I go, okay, yes, he's a wuss, but, <laughs> but let, let's not call him out about it and let's be sympathetic and, and try and work him out of his shell and help him out. So there's definitely the opportunity. You just got to figure out what's holding you back. Yeah, I think so as well. Well, uh, Damon, it has been a pleasure. I'd like to move to just some rapid fire questions real quick that we do at the end of each interview um, and then wrap up with one final question for you if you're good with that. Sure. Awesome. Uh, so rapid fire questions. You have a business, so I imagine you travel quite a bit or have traveled. Uh-huh. So what's your favorite airline to travel on? Um, I'm super biased and I use Southwest, even though, you know, understandably a lot of people will say they're not the most polished airline, but, um, I'm a huge fan of their rapid rewards program. And so we fly free all the time. That's I awesome. Stack, I stack my business credit cards on there, my personal. And, and if you get a certain, uh, a certain amount of miles, you also get what's called companion status, which means yep. somebody flies free. So my wife flies free every year. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, when it comes to uh, driving, like, are you a sports car fan at all? Uh, not so much. Obviously, I really was in my earlier twenties. Um, I'm about I'm about ref- refined practicality. So I like nice cars, uh, but I I don't I'm not necessarily going to go grab the Lamborghini. So, what's your guilty pleasure then when it comes to like where would you splurge money on yourself to spoil yourself? Uh, so at the beginning of the podcast, I talked about just super briefly on a pool and, and cabin. So anything, anytime I can, uh, do something that enhances the opportunity to have more memories with my kids, that's mm. where I'll spend a lot of money. So obviously I don't want to spend a ton of money on a pool, but I, I am willing to spend a lot of money to have those memories from a pool. So yeah, we have a pool being installed right now. Uh, we bought a, ca- a lakefront cabin property about two years ago that we I've been working on on the weekends. Um, so anything that I can enhance in that respect of life, I'm more willing to spend more money. That's awesome. What do you think is, uh, the number one problem in the business world today for newer startup entrepreneurs in their first two or three years of business? Uh, not trying and, or overthinking, like you just, just do it, like quit trying to strategize. It's like having a kid, like there's never a perfect time. Like there's never a perfect time with business. Just, just do the thing you got to do do the thing that you got to do. Um, what's the biggest obstacle in your life that you've had to overcome? Uh, two years ago, I, uh, acquired literally overnight, um, uh, a chronic autoimmune disease. Um, I got food stuck in my throat, which caused a chain reaction in my body. And, um, I have, it's this whole other podcast we could talk about, but, um, 
literally overnight. It changed the, my, my diet. Um, I lost 30 pounds in six months. Um, I just had to figure it out and readjust and, and, uh, it it took me that two years. I think I, I'm, I'm back to normal as much as can be expected with this condition, but Mm. that's, that's been a rough one. Hmm. Okay. Uh, thing you're most proud of in life. And then we just have one more, uh, being where I'm at. Um, I'm, I'm proud to, to have grown what I've grown with the business and balance family with it and have a happy marriage. That's awesome. Uh, last question. We asked this to every single person that comes on the podcast and we ended with this question. So you're fast forward to the end of your life, all your money, success, influence, impact, all gone. Nobody knows who you are. However, you get to leave one final message to every single person that you've ever touched or influenced either directly or indirectly that resonates with them or stays with them for the rest of their life. What is that message? Mm. Uh, people love you. People but, love uh, you. Yeah. You got, um, you know, the, 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 the world is a funny thing right now, especially with social media. I think we get so detached that, um, even, even the people that, you know, you love, or they love you. You don't get the opportunities to, um, directly display it as much as you used to because everyone's just scrolling. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, uh, Damon, it was a absolute pleasure to have you on here. Thank you so much for coming on my man. Um, you said that you had some free resources and I want to know where people can come to, to find you out. I want to link those down in the description. Where can people go to find out more about you and get the resources? Uh, cool. Yeah. So, uh, more about me on the personal side, DamonBurton.com. I blog about business and also some personal stuff there. Uh, business side, SEONational.com. And if you want, if SEO is your thing or you want to learn more, you go to SEONational.com slash free. I have a non-clickbaity, non-trappy, <laughs> legitimate giveaway there with a, a PDF that can kind of get you heading down the right path if you're an entrepreneur starting in, into search engine optimization. Um, and I have a book coming out later this year on SEO called Outrank. So uh, Ooh, that'll be good. Dropping that for people later. Awesome. Well, guys, go check him out. We will link those links down in the uh, description of this podcast. Go get the SEO stuff. I will say, Emmy um, has taught me a lot about SEO recently. And um, I, I do believe that, especially in the internet marketing world that I live in and that I work in, and guys, a lot of you that are listening now probably live in, SEO is an unsung um, secret weapon that if you know how to use it effectively, uh, it makes so much sense why so many people have, can get so much traffic um, without having to pay you know, outrageous amounts for ads and different things like that and ranking. So check that out. Um, Damon, like I said, thank you so much for coming on here. Any final thoughts or anything? Hey, you've been the, the fastest, uh, fastest intro to podcast friendship I've had. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Damon. Looking forward to uh, continuing our relationship down the road. Guys, uh, this has been Think Different Theory with Josh Forty, myself, and Damon Burton. Um, and we appreciate him coming on here. Go check him out. As always, hustle, hustle. God bless. Do not be afraid to think different because those of us that think different are going to be the ones that change the world. I say it every time and I truly believe it. I live by it. Go think different and own it. I love you all and I will see you on the next podcast episode. Take it easy, fam. Peace. Yo, what's up, guys? You've been listening to the Think Different Theory with myself, Josh Forty, which I like to call a new paradigm of thinking. And real quick, I got a question for you. 
Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message of positivity and making the world a better place is if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this is out on that you like my stuff and that I'm doing something right. So if you could take like three seconds out of your day and subscribe, leave a rating, and a review, I would be forever grateful for you. Also, I want to hear from you. I want to know your feedback, your ideas, and your questions for future episodes. So be sure to hit me up on Instagram in the DM at Josh Forty or via email contact at thinkdifferenttheory.com.